to Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast almost entirely dedicated to complaining about timelines. I'm one of your hosts, Jude Vase, and today my co-host Amelia Antrim and I discover the true villain of L5R, you, the players. Uh, not we, me. Yeah, well, not you. You you never played the, the card game, which you have repeatedly uh, said, as if to deflect blame. Um, <laughs> I mean, Yeah. Yeah, I on the other. This is not my fault. (laughs) I on the other hand played the the card game quite a bit, but I also am blameless because I'm very very bad at it and never won anything. (laughs) So the worst I can claim is that I paid for the Imperial Herald up until the very day the game was canceled was sold. I I re-upped my Imperial Herald two days before the sale went through. So, you know, fuck you to whoever uh, was was responsible for not taking that down. I bought wow. a I bought a year's subscription to the Imperial Herald two days before the sale. That was cool. Uh, anyway, um, so I do you I, feel like bad about that now? Like, ew, I uh, I feel a little ripped off about that last one, but not about the votes. I I certainly enjoyed the Imperial Herald voting, but uh, so maybe that makes me a, a minor villain. I feel like it does. I mean, I stand, I go to, so I don't feel like that. <laughs> I don't feel like that's going to influence my behavior any. Yeah, that's why change now. Right. Uh, corrections and non-apologies. What do we got? Uh, no corrections. And as usual, we do not apologize. Announcements. Oh, um, that's different. We, yeah, we still have a panel at a catacon. They did not uh, cancel us. It's still going to be bad. If you hurry, you can be the fourth person to attend. Oh, fourth. Oh, I know very excited it's uh one of your longtime best friends my boyfriend and tom tom who tom. ostensibly is probably there uh as crowd control as he is part of the organization and is there to make sure that we uh do not burn the room down i mean he also does listen to this podcast so um but also yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i'm sure it's more the former than the latter right I, I, do you think it's crowd control or do you think that he doesn't trust us I mean, I think that's really more. I mean, yeah, I think it's more that there won't be a crowd to control. Right. I feel like he's like, I need to know if I need to escort these I people mean, think out think of about the building. The true fans. <laughs> so offensive. James is one of the sweetest people I know. And your boyfriend is like notoriously like nice from what too I understand nice. on Twitter. Some might say too nice. So I <laughs> feel like we're not going to have a crowd to control, but definitely um, checking our bullshit might be his his role there. Yeah. Okay. Good luck, Tom. <laughs> you can't stop us. <laughs> All right. Um, onward and upward or downward, depending <laughs> on. <laughs> Not upward. <laughs> yeah, depending on your oh. alignment mm. here. Um, what do we got for topics this week? This uh, episode, Amelia. Uh, the Phoenix have a rebuilding year. We're we're scraping the bottom of the minor leagues. Uh, sports uh, analogies sports analogy and a gaming podcast for, for you nerds that was like you know probably baseball or i guess hockey also has minor leagues hockey. i don't know lots of things have minor leagues they don't really it's fine uh bullet point number two shahai yes i'm just gonna shout it imagine dear listeners seven exclamation points after that yeah. i believe that's how many i put in the initial outline uh point number three lion crab bullshit our two favorite clans. Uh. Uh. Number four, Ugina? Question mark. 
That's, about, that's appropriate. That's the right way to do that. Uh, ambition is back. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> and this time, you did this to yourselves, LARP edition. I'm looking forward to that one. I like this one. Yes. All right. So let's start with the Phoenix. Who boy. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's so much here. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on and none yeah. of it's good. None of it's good. Why don't you start with Shiba Ningen? Cause I know that you're, you're a real fan of this nonsense. Oh, love him. Okay. So like I said, the Phoenix are having their rebuilding here. We're, we're not going to the championships. It, it just, it's bad. They, as you may recall, have no elemental council. Why? Because they all done went taint crazy. So they are looking for some Shigenja, finding them wherever they can. That's why they let the Agasha come over and be phoenixes. Phoenix eye? Phoenix. Yeah, because it's Phoenai, I believe is the correct term. I heard it fire once and chickens. I was like, mm, that ain't right. And yeah, fire chickens. So we are slowly rebuilding the elemental council. First up, Shiba Ningen becomes the master of the void. Master of void. Uh, a Shiba, you might say. What a surprise. Yes, very much a surprise. So he apparently did not show any aptitude for magic at all um, until uh, while having the tar beaten out of him by his peers... He accidentally killed a kid and put two others into a coma where they eventually died in a vegetative state. Now, I'm going to guess that the phoenix uh, treated him like an insane criminal and exiled him away for signs of severe mental defect. Uh, no. Everyone was like, oh my god, a magical Shiva. What do we do with that? Um, well, of course, they... it's the fire chicken. Right, so they're like, let's put him on the Elemental Council. That seems perfectly logical for a clan that corrupted their entire leadership mm -hmm. cast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to go great. So let's, let's start with the fact that I'm very frustrated by the description of him. So in Secrets of the Phoenix, it says he's one of the most powerful Ishiken in the history of the Phoenix clan. I have serious beef with that. So, like, are you prepared? Here's my beef. Where's your beef? Here's my beef. Never mind that he is taking over this post only because it was vacated by Kaede, who went off to become the fucking Oracle of the Void. Yeah, and also who ostensibly should have been the Clan Thunder, but was like, nah, I got better things to do. You go be the Thunder, Tadaka. Right. Not to mention the fact that her father was Master of Void before her and was apparently super powerful. Yeah. But that's fine. This nobody Sheba who accidentally kills people, yeah, that's fine. This super powerful. Very clearly uh, not entirely balanced felt dude. Right. So we don't know that he's magical until he's like a teenager. But also on top of that, apparently he's shit at swords. So... I'm sure this guy is super, super cool, not at all suffering from any kind of inferiority complexes or other, any other problems for which he would need to spend a lot of time with a therapist. So you definitely want to give him profound magical powers and put him in a position of authority. 
Right. Well, and just to add to his, like, definitely not inferiority issues, he is the brother of Shiba Tsukune, the Phoenix Clan champion. Right. So well, at the least, now he has some friends. He has a whole council of friends who I'm sure will treat him as an equal and will embrace him like a brother where he will find acceptance and, and they will heal his, his problems from the past. Right? Oh, Jude, my sweet summer child. No. Um, he's a Shiva. Shiva don't get to be magical. Shiva do swords. Um, he can't do swords, and he is magical. It's very confusing to them. They appoint him to the council, not because he is the most powerful Ishigen in the history of the Phoenix Clan. No, no. They appoint him to the council because he is a Shiva, and everyone is worried if they don't, he's going to betray the Asawa. Why? Because they're up there in their castle with their tinfoil hats doing just fine. Fucking love the Phoenix so much. <laughs> that's awful. I mean, that's classic. Um, it is. It's classic Asawa bullshit. They're just like, we are amazing. How dare this Shiba also have powers? Well, but at least he's a member of the council. So he's, he's one among equals. Sure. Except. <laughs> <laughs> Except. Uh... They refuse to give him the full information on Gisei Toshi, which is the Phoenix secret invisible city where they keep all their treasures. Oh, but um, I mean, at least he doesn't know it. At least he's, he's ignorant of the way they're treating him, so it won't, it won't influence his feelings of, of being uh, infer treated infer by, as an inferior. Wrong again, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, he knows void stuff and can see into the void and, you know, is all-knowing but not all-knowing, I guess. So he knows that this city exists, but they're not going to tell him about it because those are Asawa secrets. And like hell, we're going to let Ashiva know about that. So what you're telling me is the Elemental Council sucks. And yeah, they do. I'm sure... I actually don't know anything about Shiba Ningen. I'm just assuming that he's going to go very bad in the future. I hope so. If he doesn't, the story team is setting him up with this perfect backstory to go incredibly rogue to go nowhere. Or maybe yeah. a redemption arc, but that would be fucking stupid. Or maybe the point is that like Shiba are so fucking loyal that... I was going to say so incredibly whipped, but okay. I, I'm, You know... Look, some people are into that. I don't know what their deal is. The point is, the Asawa are, as always, giant assholes. Yeah. So, uh, some things never change. Yeah. Uh, next on the element, being uh, kicked up to the Elemental Council, is Isawa Ho Hochiu. I have, okay. Hochiu. Look, look um, I'm going to give you a little preview. Uh, Isawa Hochiu, Ho Hochiu is... I don't know how to pronounce this fucking word. It's this is one of the, this is a classic bit of uh, L5R word salad. Um, Ho Chi Yu. Ho Chi Yu. I'm sorry. It just looks. This is not a, a real word. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pronounce it a bunch of different ways, and I don't care. Uh, and you're going to have to listen to it for the foreseeable future because this is a character that is going to be. Uh, heroing it up and causing trouble for a long time into the future. He's a major character um, for the next couple of arcs. So, you know, just get ready for a lot of mispronunciations uh, and no fucks given on my part. Um, 
Anyway, as for his backstory, he is the son of noted Maho enthusiast Isawa Tsuke, who you may remember uh, burning down everything in sight during the Day of Thunder. Um, unfortunately, From such hits as Open and Black Scrolls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, he himself is not a Maho enthusiast. Um, he is a sword enthusiast, on the other hand, um, making his buddy Shiba Ningen look like a chump. Um, <laughs> all of his art in uh, card art features him with swords, and all of his card abilities feature dueling abilities and keywords. So that's fun. Just going the extra mile to show off to, uh, I don't know, whoever he, he's trying to show off to. Um, as a youth, he attended a Tensai school, which is a school for geniuses uh, or the elite, which basically makes him a prep. It's like the Yale of Shugenja schools. He's also basically the poster boy for daddy issues and overcompensating. He uh, grew up with this reputation of his father looming over him. So he swore as a child to make up for his, his father's misdeeds by being a hero. That's um, healthy. I mean, it's arguably more healthy than murdering your, your schoolmates because they're beating you up with newly found void magic powers. But I mean, that was an accident. Not by a lot. I feel, I mean, these guys must have been friends because they are both rocking a lot of like, Oh, no, they were friends. Oh, um, well, there, look at that. Hochiu is the it. one that suggested Ningen be on the Elemental Council. Well, there are some... That explains a lot. Doesn't it? Yeah, they both <laughs> need therapy. Um, yeah. Look, everybody in Rokugan could benefit from some therapy. Like, I, I, Where's I the therapist like clan? Right? Oh, man, we should invent that. We should. Um, dear listeners, what animal would the therapist clan be? Okay. Like, would no, they... I'm, I'm serious. Make a note. Make a note that we are going to put this on Twitter and we're going to take some suggestions. We are. Let's develop a minor clan whose specialty is therapy. Um, yeah, I'm, let's let's talk about this. We can we can make a whole school. It's fine. Uh, uh, I'm into this. Um, I mean, and I, but I also, on the other hand, feel like we wouldn't have a podcast if all these people went to therapy. No, we definitely wouldn't. This would be a much more boring game. Um, also, a lot of so much time basic white nerdy boys would not have made that the a game about samurai that didn't need therapy so that's <laughs> true um anyway um yeah so that's hochu he will become the master of fire sometime after the events of the storming of morikagi castle which we're covering next episode um as of those events he is still a quote novice of fire um, but after sometime after that, he becomes the master of fire. Um, but yeah, he'll be around. He's a, a very notable character. He becomes kind of the face of the elemental council for a while, uh, for a, a number of years. He's a big hero, a big damn hero, and uh, kind of takes it upon himself to be um, the new face of the phoenix. So you'll be seeing a lot of him, and I'm sure we will not run out of snarky things to say about him next up on our list of phoenixes phenai phenai chickens is that what what chickens chickens uh is that what Kayade is an oracle question mark um this is really confusing i think that we looked in a bunch of different sources um and we cannot really find a timeline for when she officially 
becomes an oracle. Yeah. So way back in Clan Wars, uh, Phoenix Clan letter Phoenix Clan letter number six um, is Tadaka writing saying that she went off to go study with the Oracle of the Void. I think is how it was phrased, and basically told him like, "Sorry, you got to be the Thunder." Bye. Um, then we get to Hidden Emperor and. Um, all of a sudden, she's got a card with the Oracle of the Void keyword on it. Right. But it's not until later um, in this arc. Um, no, she's got the one card from like right now from the, the edition from the set that were that came out right before the Morikagi Castle stuff. OK, it was. Yeah, it was from um, Dark Journey Home was yeah. the first one we found. Right. Yeah. Um, the experienced version yeah, of her. So where she's, she's got, got the Oracle keyword. keyword there. But before that, it's got some dude with a beard on it. Yeah, who looks um, like Doctor Strange from Marvel Comics. Yeah, which so far, like, maybe we'll get to it. I don't know. Maybe we'll figure out who that was before this. Um, oh, I, I don't I, know. I looked it up. There's no, it's like, question mark. No, there's no indication of who the Oracle was before her. The Oracle of the Void was before her. Cool. Love that. Doctor Strange, um, apparently. Doctor Strange apparently was Oracle of the Void. Not kidding. It really does look like him. Um, it In Hidden Emperor number seven, I guess, uh, Hiroru and Ganawa, our favorite uh, Ronin team, uh, bump into her. And she's like, I have to go back and finish studying. Um, I forget what she says. I cannot stay long. The Oracle still calls. I have not learned all I must. So at that point, she's clearly... Still not Oracle, because mm-hmm. she's referring to somebody else as the Oracle. Yep. But we do know that later on, um, she definitely is, because yep. I think it's implied later on that she can be Empress or whatever, because she's Oracle of the Void and thus yep. Yep. immune to magic yeah. bullshit. It's really frustrating, because I, th- I we couldn't figure out exactly when it switched over. It's very clear that she's not at one point, and then it's like, now she, she is. is. Like, we found Taturi and also Kaide's here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. She vacated her seat on the Elemental Council to go do Oracle things and then was replaced by a guy who was apparently better than her. Um, and also, all her card art is so bad. She has so much forehead. Oh, man. Uh, we've talked about... I try not to dunk too hard on the card art from this era. Some people really love it. Um it's very much of its time, and I respect that. Um, but I feel like the art from this era falls into one of two camps. There's the art of the era, and then there's, oh, God, why? And <laughs> as much as we like to dunk on stuff like the sexy pterodactyls, I feel like that is, that's the art of the era. For what it is, it's, it's well enough done. Like, mm-hmm. you want to draw a sexy pterodactyl from the 90s? That's, I mean... You nailed it. And that is a a prime example. You did it, buddy. Yeah. But then there's also stuff like the many muscles of, um, what's his name? Yokuni? Yeah. The many muscles of Yokuni. Or Yoritomo. Or Yoritomo. (laughs) Yeah. Either one. Um, Which is just, I mean, it's just bad. I know some people love that art, but I'm sorry. There's nothing, I, I mean, there's nothing sensible about that piece of art. The guy has like 84 billion deltoids. And the the proportions are all wrong, and the, the like. It's just it's a goofy piece of art to me. Um, so it, like, my point is, 
there's this weird boundary between the art of the era and just like, God, why? And her art all falls into the gray area in between where it's the 90s, but also land a plane on it. Like there's so much forehead. It's like an airport. Uh, Right. Like it's like they almost got onto the it's fine part of the thing. And then they had to like take one thing and fuck it up. So yeah, it, it just like looks like, like her face is like stretched out or something. It's like yeah. like I don't know if she's like slowly going bald or like what the deal is, but something about it ain't right. Yeah, or maybe like they were using a really primitive version of Photoshop and they just like fucked up the layout. I don't know. Anyway, it's weird. Yeah, and it's consistently weird. That's what's funny. That's about That's the it. thing is, yeah, it's like several different cards, like different art. Um, I want to say they were by the same artist, maybe Kinda when feels I looked. Like it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's consistent that she's got a big forehead. Yeah. So poor maybe guy, she's got enough problems. She has to marry to Tori. She's got to deal with a lot of stuff. She yeah, really... she's got a lot going on, and then also she's got a weird forehead. So yep. that's enough to mess anybody up. Yep. Um. Okay. Jude. Jude. Guess what? What? Um. It's time for your bullshit. Yeah, it's time for my bullshit. Kind of. Two kinds of my bullshit. Um, so first of all, Shahai, our girl, right now, in 1132, which is the year in which this portion of the timeline is taking place. We think. It's L5R. We more don't know. Or less, is right now, as the leader of a cult of blood speakers, conducting a dark ritual, the outcome of which is... A portal to Jigoku opens and out comes three of my favorite people, Omoni, Kyoden, and our boy Daigotsu. How do we know this? Funny you should ask. There is a fiction that we'll be, we will be covering in gold. And in that fiction, Daigotsu goes for a nice scenic hike with some of his boys And while on that hike, he does some villain expositing in which he talks about his past. And he makes casual reference to the fact that about 20 years ago, these events happened. Which raises an interesting thing, a kind of a meta thing that we want to talk about here. One, this is very cool that this is happening in the background. But the more sort of wider interesting thing is how we cover these kinds of pieces. The intersection of how we build our timeline and how we cover events that don't entirely that don't fit cleanly into our timeline as we build them. So let me, let me talk about what I mean here. As we build our outlines for these episodes, we're, we're trying to follow the time. The we're trying to follow the events of the card game as it was released. But we also have, we have the fictions, we have the cards, we have the RPG materials So we're trying to tell the story of the game as it was being released by the players. But also we have the RPG and we have the story, the fictions as they came out that went back and backfilled the story. And what we also want to be doing as we tell the story of the game as the players were learning it, but we also want to be telling the coherent story of, of L5R, which can sometimes be contradictory things. And so we end up with cases like this where nowhere was anyone who was playing the game when Hidden Emperor came out knew who Shahai was really other than that one card and that one fiction. She was a a bit character. Nobody mm-hmm. knew who Daigotsu was. And the fact that she was summoning Daigotsu in 1132 was not even conceived of at the time. But we want to call it out here because this is a major event. 
Daigotsu is now on the scene. This major character who you're going to be hearing so much about for the, basically the rest of this fucking podcast once he shows up in gold. Has he now, says as if we haven't been hearing about Daigotsu this whole time. Right. Yeah. Uh, has also, I'm still up, here. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I'm almost done. No, you're fine. <laughs> he, he's on the scene and we should call that out. But it's also worth noting that the fiction where this happened is in gold. So it, it's an awkward thing is what I'm is what I'm trying to point out is the fiction where this happened is in gold. And in theory, we wouldn't cover that to gold till gold. But we do want to call out that this chronological event is happening in 1132. So Amelia and I have often discussed what's our policy for this, right? Mm -hmm. And what we are kind of settling on doing here and what we're sort of calling out here in this section is we want to call out the chronological events, but we won't cover the source of these chronological events deeply until we reach them in the sets or places where we come across them. Right. So this is a struggle that we've had since the beginning of planning this podcast and a thing that we've spent a lot of time trying to wrap our brains around and try to come up with a good plan for because we want to tell the story of the game and we want to tell the narrative story. And those two things don't always match up. It's why we covered the Scorpion Clan coup after we did Clan Wars, because that's how it was presented in the game. But because story things were still being released after the card game and the fiction, you have the RPGs, like 4th edition didn't come out till what, 2010, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Way, way later, you're still finding things out about the past in the future it's they, those things don't match up real life and game time are not the same yeah and so it's it's been a constant struggle for us and so i think we've finally hopefully settled on a way to do it that is just to like mention hey it's a thing that happened don't worry about it we'll talk about it later but know that this is this is where that dot on the timeline is yep so yeah eleven thirty two, 32 is on the scene thanks to shahai they're both awesome. Amoni is, a, is weird and great, and I can't wait to tell you about him. And Kyoden's pretty cool, too. Kyoden's great, too. They're all great. They're all fucking great. I can't wait. I can't wait. I fucking love Shy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from that high point of, <laughs> of outline process and our, some of the greatest hits of the Shadowlands, now we have to talk about these two. Losers. Our two favorite clans, Jude. <laughs> all right so um do you want to talk about the lion or do you want to talk about the crab do why I don't you talk to? about the crab okay i'm gonna um, tell you you talk about the crab want to hear a joke <laughs> it's still funny. it'll never not be funny yeah. i don't care what everybody else thinks we think we're hilarious uh okay um so the crabs still suck uh yakimo and his Chuckleheads are still stuck in Kyuden Hiruma because Yakimo has inherited his father's tactical genius. Um, you guys couldn't see the air quotes that he was doing. I just want everybody to know. I think I made it pretty clear what was going on there. <laughs> um, sources are a little unclear when these events happen. Shocking. Um, it either happens after the events of Morikagi or sometime before, but it's sometime within close proximity to it. Um, but some pla- sometime around there in 1132. 
in any case, uh, the situation at Kuden Hiroma is now substantially worse than it's been. They are utterly surrounded, and the only with the help of a tribe of the Nizumi called the Third Whisker Tribe are the crab alive at all. Um, here's where things get weird. Um, Yakimo decides that now I will escape. I will try and get out of the castle and try and get help from my sister. So he uses the Nizumi tunnels to get out of the castle and figures, well, I've got this magic jade hand that will help me survive and tries to make a break for the wall. However, because he's a tactical genius, Yakimo has waited till after Kuniyori has summoned undead cavalry. So he is easily captured by Moto Tsume and brought back to Kuniyori. Hey, what happens to him now? Oh, this is the good part. This is the part I like. Everyone, it's Yakimo's favorite hobby. Having his arm cut off. <laughs> uh, well, first he's tortured for 30 days, which is great. Um, Love that. He is dragged to uh, something called the Sepulcher of Bone and is tortured for 30 days in an attempt by Kuni Yori to get him to submit to the taint. Uh, after which, Yori cuts off his hand, um, and it chucks the jade hand into the Blackfinger River, like so much garbage, uh, and then murders Yakimo. Uh, he then drags the corpse out to, back to Kuni Haruma and attempts to use it to dishearten the remaining crab troops. Uh, I think all of this is great. Uh, except for the fact that it won't stick, but spoilers. Um, but I think it's cool that Yakimo's dead. And I think Kuniyori probably is having a pretty good day there. So good for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could have summed it up very well just in my, my comments that I left on our outline, um, which literally just says Yakimo going to die. Yeah. Um, I maintain that Yakimo, a uh, tactical genius, maybe should have tried to make a run for the wall before Yori summoned undead cavalry. Just to saying. To be fair, did he know that that was going to happen? No, but maybe wait, Maybe he shouldn't have tried it once they had undead horses. I, I know Yakimo thinks he's the shit, but maybe... I just feel like once your enemy has undead horses that don't get tired trying to outrun them even with a jade hand, is a losing proposition. Here's my question. Do you think he would have survived if he used scorpion tunnels instead of Nozumi tunnels? Uh, no. No, I don't, because clearly they would have been booby-trapped. Oh, maybe. I feel like maybe they're more structurally sound, though, if, like, they were, you know, supervised by, like, contractors. And, mm, maybe. And or mole people. Yeah, but I think the scorpion probably have specifically anti-crab traps in their tunnels just to fuck over the crab. Well, but in that case, they have traps in all their tunnels. Yeah. Just to fuck over everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> <laughs> um, the lion are suddenly marching toward crablands and everyone's freaking out. Because they assume that the lion are going to attack the weakened crab army. To be fair, not an absurd assumption. Yeah. The lion are the lion. Uh, just doing lion things. 
Well, and it's like everybody's marching on everybody else's territory right now. So it seems in keeping. No, with... it's just Sarucci. Well, fair. Okay. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay. But the lion are notoriously shitty. So you could imagine them getting in on this. Right. I mean, it's not, again, not a false assumption or a, you know, an absurd one. An absurd one, um, yeah. yeah. So the Lion Clan champion, Ikoma Sonori, is she apparently overhears the plight of the crab somehow, not sure how, um, and decides she's going to go help. Why? Totally unclear. Yeah. No idea. Uh, do the lion like the crab now? Was she just looking for something to do? Apparently, according to the RPG books, um, this one's from third edition, without preamble or explanation, Ikoma Sunuri gathers a legion of her most loyal soldiers and sets off to the southwest of Lionlands, presumably directly into the heart of crab territory. I think this is... So even the books are like, I don't know. Winking at the fact that there was no explanation for this. Apparently, though, at, at least narratively, which maybe makes me feel slightly better, this is completely confusing to everyone around her, too, yeah. including uh, our favorite taint crazy jade champion, Kitsu Okora, mm-hmm. who is having a rough time of his own. The unicorn, who, once again, hey, remember the unicorn? They do things now. Yeah. Uh, our magistrates, and they're very suspicious because it seems like. Um, the lion are maybe on the attack. Again, a safe bet. And the lion have no answers for why this might be. They can't give the unicorn any reasoning about what's happening. Why? Because Sonori didn't tell anyone what's going on. This is a classic case of a thing that happens in fiction all the time that drives me nuts. Is like, if people would fucking communicate, that movie would have been over in like the first ten minutes. Mm-hmm. All of L5R feels like that. Yeah, all the time. Um, according to uh, Hidden Emperor, the RPG, the third edition, D21, D20, I can do this. According to the Hidden Emperor supplement, uh, it says, Strangely, Ikoma Sunori did not reveal her intent even to her closest advisors. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, that seems... The explanation that uh, comes up later in Imperial Histories attempts to explain this, as I recall. They say that the line darkness is behind this. It was intercepting communications. Yes. Yeah. So basically it says that like her her communications were being intercepted or stopped. Um, and it I don't know how that works. I don't know how it just like I yeah. mean, is it like a secret evil communication network that it's just like we'll take out all the cell towers uh, and everything will stop working but because she didn't tell anyone stuff nobody knows what's going on Hito Ushi is obviously not happy about this because she's kind of busy figuring out what her stupid brother's up to Um, and so the crab are kind of freaking out everybody else is confused as fuck meanwhile back home in the lion lands that their clan champion just left behind for no apparent reason uh kitsu okura is trying to make sure that the emerald magistrates can't investigate what's going on because it's maho maho 
you have to whisper it like it's a secret (laughs) (laughs) the unicorn are still doing their magistrate bullshit um being super excited that they actually matter now and are like we're gonna prove it we can do it uh we're gonna make dad so proud uh (laughs) they decide to investigate reports of the spooky things that are happening in lion lands lion being lion not having it shinjo shirasu decides to lead the investigation um but is forcibly escorted back to the border by some lion soldiers. They're like, nah. Seems very polite. You. Yeah, get out of our get out of our land. We'll mind you mind your own business. We'll mind ours. Um Okura actually I feel like has a good excuse for this. Like yeah. like he has a decent explanation, which is to be like, Well, obviously, as Jade Champion, it is my job to deal with Maho and all things evil and creepy. And so you leave this to me. I'll take care of it. He's not wrong. It is his job. Uh, but also, I feel like it's a little bit of a conflict of interest since you can't investigate yourself, maybe. Uh, this is like every corrupt FBI agent cop m- movie in ever where they're like covering for the other corrupt cops. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Except that it's just, you know, Maho. Maho. Yeah. And, you know. A, a weird oni yeah. that he's got like tied up in a his pet spare oni. room a pet oni uh shinjo shirasu decides to run home and tell yukatsu the unicorn champion about what's going on and they decide hey, let's put together an army to fight it out it'll be fine it might be fine because like half of the lion's gone so maybe that's part of their thinking but i feel like that's a stupid move yeah uh, I mean, I are feel the unicorn like, just like high on their power trip at this point? I mean, I think that's exactly what's going on. I think they were put in charge to ostent. They were given a mandate to keep the peace, and I think they're getting a little aggressive about it because things are spinning off the 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 rails here a little bit, and they're starting to clench down a little bit. Um, that's well, the, and Dad's not home to say, "Yeah, don't fight, simmer down." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I can't. They, I don't. I feel like they still don't entirely know what is up with the unicorn. Um, yeah, this, I mean, I feel it feels like they they're like, oh, we gave them a job now, but it's like they still have no identity flavor. Yeah, I feel like they're still sort of hammering out what that looks like. So, mm. um, I think the only real like flavor to the unicorn we've seen so far was the guy that betrayed them for the the gazoku or whatever not the gazoku the um uh Colot? the colot thank you yeah. was the guy that betrayed them for the colot because we got a little background to the whole like i want to be a battle maiden thing um but that probably was from like a future supplement that after they figured it out so yeah well and that guy also like had like four different names too yeah so uh clearly very important yes because I couldn't even remember his fucking name. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's really what's going on with the lion and crab. The lion are marching toward the crab. The crab are freaking out. Meanwhile, back home, the lion internally are having, like, a little bit of a meltdown. Um, and the unicorn are poking it with a stick and going to see what happens. Yep. Yep. Next up, Ronin Adventures. I feel like it's a children's television show that I'm going to write. <laughs> that would be a... Dark TV show. I don't know. It depends on which Ronin. Yeah, fair point. 
Um, I mean, like, you could just do, like, a, a cool mystery where Hiroru and Ganawa are out solving crimes or something. Like, a very noir. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. No, no, nothing about, <laughs> nothing about Hiroru and Ganawa's. You know what, like... Hiroru and Kanawa Detective Agency? No, no, I don't want that. I feel like, because I feel like that's essentially what happened here, is that, like, Kachiko, I mean, like, is. hired them to, They're, like, like buddy cops. Us. Yeah. Uh, God, <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, my God, I would watch that show. That's awful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, which of them is Turner and which of them is Hooch? Oh, man, I mean... Ganawa's totally hooch, right? I know, he is. I, it, it was obvious after As I said soon as it. you said it, it's clear. Yeah. It's clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, he even smells bad. Yeah, yeah. No, that's obvious. Uh, all right. <laughs> Back on track. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the Usagi or do you want me to? Uh, yeah, so we can talk a little bit about this. This is a weird section of, like, two things that happened and are maybe kind of important but also not yeah um but whatever we're gonna talk about him anyway because it's on our fucking show yeah uh usagi ozaki who is the hair clan champion at this point formerly a ronin because the hair clan gets in some shit um and then they get out of it and that's a story for another time he goes to the imperial city following this bounty which is apparently 300 koku. That's a shitload of koku. It's a shitload of koku. Apparently it starts out at 100, but keeps going up because no one is fucking handling it. Um, it's being offered to stop a murderer from terrorizing the city. Once again, Taturi isn't there, and now everything's gone to shit. Yep. Obviously. Clearly. Save us, Taturi. He teams up with a ronin named uh, Tokamasa. And together they take down a cult of blood speakers. Again, another. See, like we get to so many buddy cop shows. Okay. A cult of blood speakers inside the Imperial City. Things are going great. Things are going great. Um, there's a whole in uh, Hidden Emperor. There's a whole section about um, Tokamasa and uh, Ozaki, who apparently like they Tokamasa apparently just is like. Has a super trustworthy face, even though Ozaki doesn't trust anybody. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's the tropiest trope. But anyway, together, they take down this team of blood speakers because Ozaki is apparently, like, about to die. He, like, runs in there and is like, I got this. And then they were, like, waiting for him. And then Tokamasa's, like, comes in at the last minute and saves him. And, you know, it's real dramatic. Um, Takuan you'll remember is the imperial regent yep decides what a cool thing to do and he gives tokamasa the family name of ujina once taturi gets back i'm so sorry to disappoint you everyone taturi's gonna come back yeah uh he makes it official and but he states they need to swear fealty to the hair clan that's the usagi right uh the Ujina become a tiny little baby family. There's like nothing else about them. That's it. They've got a small write-up of like two columns in the Hidden Emperor book. And it says there are only about ten of them. And it also says they're all men and women that Ozaki found and recommended to his newfound friend. So he's like, hey, 
these people maybe that's it that's the whole family huh um and from what i could find there's like maybe one other card that has a character with this name on it or like comes up somewhere else um and that's it just these two that's all we ever hear about it we made up a family for no reason huh okay weird i was intrigued by this name choice but i can't find any reason for it my guess is knowing l5r there's probably no broader meaning to it Uh, yeah um whatever but isawa ujina was the master void kaede's father Mm -hmm. and he's recently gone missing um and has become the nameless one so like i was expecting there to be something more there uh but silly me but no but no all right that's it so hey that was a story about a cult of blood speakers uh which i want to say there's a supplement somewhere where you can like play out that story because uh, i feel like i have but uh that's it it was just like a cult of blood speakers i was like blood speakers two best friends solving crimes except they didn't win oh, look, I've, e- I've even written you a theme song man <laughs> <laughs> why don't the blood speakers ever win in these scenarios I mean, I think that, like, later on they will, right? Well, once Degotu shows up, it gets them organized. Yeah. See, like, that's the thing, though, is that, like, this is in, like, maybe 1131, maybe 1132. Yeah. But he's just, like, getting back from his sweet hell vacation. So. All right. We'll give it some time. Yeah. All right. Uh, Meanwhile, Bayushi things are happening? Question mark? Uh, so those blood swords that Ganawa and Hiroru are out looking for, uh, remember that? Um, well, it turns out that a different guy found one. Um, so, you know, ambition, that sword that broke and. That and Kachiko was maybe using for hairpins. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently somebody like picked up the pieces and took it back to Kyuden Bayushi. For some reason, nobody, I don't know why anyone would do that, um, but appara- or, or why anyone would let someone take the, the shards of that sword out of that room. Why was nobody paying attention? Like, okay. Anyway. Okay, I would like to get to the bullet point. Like, let's just skip to the bullet point. Well, hmm, no. Okay, so explain what happens once. Okay, so. Why do we know they're in the basement? Sanzo, a former dragon, now a ronin finds these shards of ambition in the basement of Kyuden Bayushi and reforges them into a wakazashi. Um, he kills some ogres with it, but he gets creeped out by the fact that it's whispering to him creepily, as a bloodsword will do. Um, did he not know that it would do that? I mean, he just found a bunch of metal laying in the basement and thought, I'll make a sword out of this. Or did he intentionally know it was a blood? sword shards it's not clear to me what the thought process there was um but yeah that that that's that's what happens um questions so many questions in all capital letters i wrote questions i have i'm gonna rattle them off and then you can answer them for me okay well i can try why did Kachiko not know the sword was in her own basement? Well, in fairness, there are also zombies, lakes, um, 
other swords who knows there was already one a ghost that was supposed to be guarding the sword a ghost um the basement under kyun harum or kyun bayushi is apparently a spooky lake maze zombie thing so uh <laughs> i gotta give i gotta give kachiko a pass on that one uh why did Hereru and Kanawa not find it? Isn't that their job right now? Um, because they can't find their asses with two hands in a brightly lit room. I mean, it's like they're on a totally different mission now. Like I, they just forgot what they were supposed to be doing, like what they were hired to do. I don't think now they off, know what they're doing. Uh, I don't like think now they they're know. off finding a guy with no, f- who does have a face or no face. Dude, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're There's getting Hereru a new pair of pajamas. I don't know what they're doing. They're yeah. They're the worst. They're, they're discovering the true power of friendship. Yes. Do people just leave blood swords lying around? Yes. That is exactly what they do. That is their explicit purpose, is to be picked up and used and cause trouble. That is why they were made. Are they just handing out blood swords? Is this just like a thing now? I mean, they don't hand them out. There's a very finite number of them. But uh, Iuchiban absolutely designed them to be used and cause people agony um they were a little more targeted than that he designed them to be used by specific people but he would certainly have not minded that they ended up just sort of like chucked out into the general populace to cause chaos he would have been all about that he was all about that how did this random ronin dude get into their basement uh, I think at this point, all of the scorpion have been fucked off into the burning sands. So I don't think there's anybody like to stop him. I thought Saruchi was doing that. See, he can't take care of his pet either. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, fair point. The Saruchi probably should have been protecting that. But also, you know, it's a big creepy castle. They probably don't care that much. Or they didn't know what was in the basement. Yeah. Uh... How does he know how to reforge a bloodsword? I have to imagine uh, there's more to it than just convenient. Yeah, he doesn't exactly have like a uh, an anvil of despair, but maybe once it's already been supposedly it can be where reforged. Where did I read it? I I read somewhere that like he did use the anvil. Well, that makes no sense because as far as I, I know, the anvil of despair is lost until like the. F- Sixth yeah century, like the until like 1150 something yeah no but i definitely read something about the anvil well, and now i don't remember where well that's dumb it is dumb um that is most of my question so basically none of which you gave me satisfying answers for i just like this whole thing is like i don't understand how it could have been in kyuden by bayushi and kachiko didn't know about it because kachiko knows everything and everybody's secrets all the time um and isn't that her whole thing like in that one story is that she's looking for she already had some of ambition and it didn't do her any good so i mean it may have brought down the entire empire but i don't think it did her any good no so. That's, I mean, and that question I feel like is not answered either. Is like, why did she need it? Yeah. So, um, my favorite part of all this, air quotes, favorite. Uh, how did this happen? Where did this information? Where did the story come from? Oh God, I forgot about this. <laughs> oh God. Um, so this is another one of those things where the future is fucking up the past. Um, it's always deceptive to ask in L five R. How did this happen? 
And you think, oh, it's from a story. But the further you delve into this bullshit game, we get uh, the more dangerous asking how any given fact came to be becomes. Uh, in this case, Sanzo's little ambition story comes to us from an absolutely fucking bananas uh, player event called Legion of the Dead from 2004, wherein people who won a Kotai, which is a player, a tournament basically, um, a largest tournament, could nominate anyone from their faction who was dead to join this ghost legion, and they'd get a little write-up and then fight the Shadowlands version, the Legion of Blood. Which I want to point out, why is there a gang war? An this is just like... War. It makes sense in the context, apparently. I don't really recall. Um, I will not spoil you, dear listeners, and tell you what this ended up being about because it's not important. But suffice to say that it's A, stupid, B, annoying, and C, will end up by a, a very long rant by yours truly. But a whole lot of dead people from like the clan wars, hidden, hidden emperor era were got like two paragraph write ups with a bunch of weird expository narrative detail added to them at way after the fact, like five years later. Um, and Sanzo's one of them. He got this little weird story about ambition and finding the shards of ambition. So there you go. But like, where did he come from? Um, Sanzo, I believe was an, an existing card that just like okay. somebody picked him off a card and he became this thing. So, Oh, that's right. I, did have stupid links to his cards in the notes um yeah at, oh that whole thing oh hmm, we'll get there yeah. we'll get there yeah we'll get there it's bad it's oh my god yep oh you guys dear players y'all suck yeah uh and now our for our closer on this one um you did this to yourselves larp edition um the larp LARP. Um, so in at Gen Con 1999, there was a LARP which decided a bunch of random shit um, with the following prompt. After the retaking of Haruma Castle and the death of the old daimyo, Haruma Yoshi, a new Haruma daimyo must be chosen. Tatori himself, as well as respective members of all the clans, came to Harumakasa to help Hida Oushi choose the new daimyo and to further their own political needs as well. A bunch of bonkers stuff gets chosen here. Um, the reason this is on our map this episode is because the one of the results of this LARP was the selection of Isawa Hoichu to become the Master of Fire. Um... I do not know any more circumstances about how that happened or who was playing Isawa Hochu or what, what went on there. Um, if the old forums were still up, I might have been able to find some stuff, but nope. Uh, all I know is that as a result of this LARP, that, that happened. So, uh, yeah, somebody out there role-played that character and now there was a master of fire and made him the master of fire and influenced the story in a substantial way so cool for you good job what are what are the rules of this larp like um they worked a lot like the winter courts as i understand it where they would have a goal and they would 
play out a LARP and make bargains and they would have a GM that was sort of adjudicating these bargains and social okay. wheeling and dealing because it was always I got it. So it's court. model UN for like even bigger nerds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I can follow that. I can handle that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that like, I mean, and this is a thing that I have always loved about this game is that like it is more interactive, but sometimes I don't love it. Yeah. And um, I love it less and less. I've always liked the places where you can see where an individual player has a large effect on the game. Um, mm -hmm. I know that that causes huge problems, but I, I think it's fun to be able to see that. I like seeing where one player's choice just bonks the game in a weird direction. I don't like it when it's a dumb choice. Like there, there's a lot of dumb choices in the game and we'll see them. But I think it's interesting, like where, for example, we see one player created this character, maybe for all we know, I don't know. For all we know, that character could have been their OC and it became a character that, you know, turned into and the And we do of know fire. that like there are a lot of cases for that. Yeah, there are like, a lot that of it, characters. It does happen. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's it, it's. It's interesting because it's not a thing that other games did. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes this game special. Like, as dumb as it is and as much as we beat the crap out of it for being really bad sometimes, like, it, that is a very cool thing and one of the mm -hmm. things that, like, drew me to this game. And I think it, it does make for a more interesting story in a lot of ways because it is completely unpredictable in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things I really like about the game is is seeing how a single player can be because they played really well in a LARP or because they built a, a really impressive deck. For example, in Celestial, you had uh, Andrew Ornatov built a deck called Breeder that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw coming and just won everything, just wrecked face. And as a result, the spider decks one really unexpectedly nobody thought spider had a chance in the meg in the like ongoing point aggregation thing at the time and more or less kept spider like in the game single-handedly at the time um yeah i love stuff like that i love yeah like how the creativity of people outside of the people making this game yeah i really like that about the game um there's the famous, like, uh, another one I really like is the famous, like, unicorn Koku deal where a bunch of unicorn players gathered, like, a garbage bag full of Koku and donated it to, I want to say, the spider again. I think it was the spider to fuck over the crane at the lat, like, at a tournament at the last minute and fuck the crane over. Um, <laughs> I love stuff like that. that. Those are yeah. I mean, and I think that there's like a lot of, like I'm sure there's hundreds of stories like that. But I really like oh, that yeah. stuff about this game. Yeah, I mean, and it's a thing that like I think sort of in some ways like built a community around the game because you needed to do like that kind of interactive stuff. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, there is you know there's some issues with that with like well, like a goblin that kills a god. Oh, yeah. No, but I also meant like outside of the game, too. Oh, it's sort yeah. of that competitive nature between the clans that like it became yeah. about, y you know, like 
it spilled over, I think, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. There were times when the clan uh, identification became a little toxic, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This game's complicated and interesting and bad. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Uh, Next time, unfortunately, dear listeners, I'm so sorry to tell you this. Tutori comes back. Yeah. So I guess it's up to you whether you want to keep listening to this podcast or not. Uh, Our next episode, however, will not be Murakagi Castle. Our next episode is going to be uh, a special treat for you. Um, You get to listen to our dumb panel. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) Because we both work too much. Uh, We're going to be recording our panel and you get to listen to it. You're welcome. You're fucking welcome. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you've got that to listen to. Uh, And then uh, the episode after that, we will pick back up and jump into Morikagi Castle. Garbage of the Five Rings is an independent production and can be found online at www.garbageofthefiverings.com and on Twitter at G5R Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. My co-host, Jude Vase, can be found on Twitter at Aramidic Jude. Sources for this episode and further information on the topics discussed can be found in the show notes. Thanks for letting us waste your time. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>